Welcome to Podcast for Leaderful Schools, coming to you as always, almost live from Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan, actually from the School of Education and Human Services and the Galileo Institute. This is Bob Maxfield, and I'm joined on this beautiful uh, late September morning by Dr. Suzanne Klein. Sue, how are you this fine day? I am in a very wonderful mood because fall has started to appear on our trees here in Michigan, which makes it a gorgeous landscape. But most of all, I'm looking forward to our conversation with Will Richardson, who is somebody that we've had the opportunity to talk with and learn from over the years. Yeah, we are delighted to have Will with us. This is a, for our listeners, this is a continuation of a series that we began several months ago uh, that we initially called The Great Reset, looking at schools beyond the pandemic. Uh, foolishly of us when we started this we thought that by the time we got to almost October 2021 uh, we'd be past all this well we're not past all this at all but schools are navigating it and the conversation uh, as you'll see today continues to uh, provide some leadership in that area so welcome to to Will Richardson we're just delighted you could be with us thanks for having me I really appreciate being here you've had uh, as we as we know but uh, you've been involved in a variety of roles. We've had the privilege of speaking with you before. Uh, and now you're involved with this, uh, with something called the Big Questions Institute. But before we get into that, give our listeners uh, the, short, uh, the short version of what your background is and how, what got you to this point in your life. Yeah, so I actually was a high school uh, educator and administrator for 22 years, but uh, I taught English and uh, worked with technology, um, implementing technology in classrooms with teachers. But I left that about 15 years ago and have uh, since then had the huge privilege of traveling around the world. I think I've been to 27 different countries working with um, teachers, leaders, uh, board members, to try to help them contextualize this moment. And obviously it's gotten even more interesting in the last uh, couple of years, but, um, and, and, and trying to bring a message of we in education need to take a long, hard look at our practice given the way that the world is spinning. Um, and that uh, the, my new favorite phrase is that we're in the midst of an epic design challenge right now to try to figure out what it is that uh, schools need to become because not just because of the pandemic, but because of many other things that have happened and come to the surface in the last couple of years, it's become really obvious that um, what we have been doing has contributed to this moment in some, some pretty powerful ways. And the only way we're gonna get out of this moment with all of these kinds of existential crises that we're facing is through education redesigned. Um, you know, uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna get out of it if we simply continue to do what uh, we've been doing and go back to normal. We need to really rethink it, and uh, it is a huge design challenge right now. Um, and uh, and so that's you know kind of the moment that I'm in right now. It's on one hand really daunting, but on the other hand really exciting too, because I think there are a lot of opportunities for us to do uh, to do really good work right now. Sort of anticipated my next question because. Really, what you've been, what you're saying is, that for the past 15 years, you've been doing some of the same kind of work, but it's morphed into something quite different given the circumstances of today. So, let's talk specifically about the uh, the Big Questions Institute. What is it? How did it come about then? Yeah, so the BQI is uh, a partnership with Homa Tavangar, who is uh, an author and someone who has spoken a lot about um, diversity, equity, justice, and also global competence. 
we found uh, a couple of years ago, we, we did a conference together and, and we started having some uh, really engaging conversations and decided to uh, come together and, and create uh, this institute, which is driven by questions. We, we don't believe that there are a lot of answers right now, but we, we do believe that there are some really important questions that we need to be asking. Um, and they're not confined to, we put out an ebook earlier this year uh, called Nine Big Questions Schools Must Answer Before Going Back to Normal, because normal wasn't that great to begin with. Um, and and so, you know, there are questions like, what is sacred? What are the things that we want to carry forward through this moment? Uh, we look at this moment as kind of a portal moment. And that's a quote from Arundhati Roy, the Indian writer who said the pandemic is a portal. So what is sacred? What do we want to leave behind in this moment? What do we want to take forward with us? We ask questions like, what is learning? How do we define it? Do we have coherence around what that is? We ask, where's the power right now? Who is unheard? Are we well? Um, and so we're trying to engage um, educators and mostly educational leaders at a, at a pretty high level to build capacity to interrogate the system as it currently is constructed and then um, kind of audit those answers against the realities of the world right now. And in most cases, what we're finding and what schools are finding is that there's some pretty huge gaps between what we do and what the world is demanding of us right now. So we're trying to get through that through inquiry and interrogation, and uh, it's hard work, um, but it's, uh, we think, the, the work to be doing right now. It certainly is. You know, picking up on that theme, on the Big Questions uh, Institute website, you state, quote, now is not the time to get back to normal, unquote. And this notion you're talking about as we're at a portal right now. Uh, you used the words earlier, epic design challenge, and all those fit nicely with the frame that we've been talking with our guests about over the last six to eight months in terms of the notion of redesign, reimagining, resetting education post-pandemic and what we've learned during that period of time. The good news is many schools have geared up and have begun in-person learning again. Um, and yet, as you mentioned earlier, Will, as we do that, we know that there are some truths that we have to confront. There's some questions we have to resolve that might have been hidden before or we had not considered carefully enough. So let's start with this. Uh, what, what do you think has been learned during this time? Um, digging a little bit deeper into your comments earlier, what questions are people needing to live into? right now, as well as consider solutions for? Well, I, I think there, there, there are lots of questions that we need to lean into right now. Um, I, 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 again, I think that we have to be willing to take every part of our system, every piece of our practice, put it on the table and ask, do we wanna continue doing this? Um, you know, our definition, when we talk about normal, um, you know, if you really take a look and you, and you go to, um, you know, you go to a lot of schools and you kind of step back, I mean, really normal is kind of defined as a whole bunch of different things. You know, we have a, a pretty long list, but I mean, normal is this kind of, un, it's this unnatural segregation by age. It's this kind of um, uh, real push to get good grades and to, um, you know, to measure learning through numbers. Um, and kids then, normal in a lot of schools is kids, the one thing they learn more than anything else is how to get a good grade, how to play that game. Um, and there are a lot of these normals, you know, that 
that really when you look at them, you have to ask, why do we want to go back there? Why do we want to continue to do those things? So I, I think that it, it takes a lot of courage right now um, for people to kind of step back and say, why do we do this? How does it comport to our understanding of how people and specifically children learn? How is it relevant for the moment that we find ourselves in? And then do we want to continue to do it? And if not, then what do we replace it with? Now, the problem is obviously that a lot of these normals are very deeply embedded in the narrative of school. Um, this is the way kind of we've been doing things for a long, long time. And to suggest that we're going to get rid of age groupings, to suggest that we might get rid of grades because grades really don't measure learning and they cause a lot of anxiety. And, you know, for all the reasons why grades are just not a healthy thing to be doing in schools or to suggest that maybe we want to get rid of disciplines because no one in the real world learns math for 45 minutes and then goes to science for 45 minutes and does all of that, right? That's a very scary thing to do because it, it goes against our own experience um, and our own comfort. Um, and it then, you know, kind of uh, opens up this blank canvas that we're not sure how to begin to paint on it. You know, like, okay, if we're not going to do that, then what does it look like? Um, and it's really hard. You know, I, there are, in my darkest moments, I wonder if it's possible. I really do. I wonder if it's possible for schools that have been around for a long time to actually shift in any meaningful way. Most of the really transformative, progressive change that we're seeing is in schools that have been built for that purpose, um, where they are new, innovative startups, you know, on the edges, um, where kids are doing real work for the world. They're, um, they have real agency and, and input on what the experience of school looks like. They are developing all sorts of skills and literacies and dispositions more than this emphasis on content knowledge and on recall. Um, and, and those places are fascinating right now. But taking a school that's been around for a long time, taking a system that's been around for a long time and moving it to something like that is excruciatingly difficult for um, any number of reasons. To that end, um, I, I like your metaphor of the uh, starting to paint a canvas. The other metaphor that comes to mind is doing a jigsaw puzzle where you're starting to, to create a framework and then filling in some of the detail uh, on that. With, with either of those metaphors in mind, um, what are two or three things that you hope stool, schools will have the courage to start on first? Knowing that this is not something you do overnight, nor is it something that has a magic wand that, that um, somehow ma makes things just go right. Um, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of work by people who are striving for coherence so that all kids are gonna be successful those things that are the hallmarks of that uh, reimagined, redesigned school experience. What are two or three things that you would, you would put on that list? And then what from the student voice that you've been listening to might they put on that list? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I think that um, right now there's just a ton of capacity building that we need to do in terms of leadership, teachers, parents, community members, just in understanding more as much as we can the world as it is today. I, I think that if we don't, if we don't invest, and I mean that seriously in, in budget of time and money to educate ourselves 
to a level where then we can look at schools through a different lens, right? I mean, it, the world is changing so fast right now. So much mm -hmm. is very different. The, the, the way, again, the arc of, uh, of so much of this higher education, of business, of politics, of all of this is just changing. That unless we spend some time really wrapping our brains around as much as we can what's happening, I don't think we're gonna make the best decisions we can for kids, right? So. Um, that's number one. We have to we have to get a contextual coherence as to what's happening in the world. But the second thing is, um, I also think that we need to get some coherence around, uh, or some common language around what learning is. I think that that question, "What is learning?" sounds so it, like it should be easy for schools and educators to talk about, but it's really difficult. Um, and, you know, I, I sometimes go into schools and just pick 10 people at random and ask them to define that word. And I get 10 different answers all the time. There's no shared language. And if there's no shared language around what learning is, then we have a problem <laughs> because yeah. that's what schools are about. It's, they're about learning. Um, and so I think that that's, that's really, really important um, it, that we start with common language, uh, learning, success, achievement, all of those things. We need to have some conversations as to how we define those and, and how maybe our mission becomes different when we talk about, when we use those lenses to look at our work. In terms of what kids bring to it, so, you know, I own two children. They're, they're, they're grown a little bit now. They're, they're 24 and 22. Um, I think kids are noticing that there are lots of different ways to live in the world these days, other than the ones that we've been telling them are the ways to live in the world. I think they find that they have a lot more agency outside of school to learn, to connect, to create. Um, most kids, when you ask them where they're doing their most interesting, important work, they will tell you it's not in school. Um, it is on their own. It is, you know, and even, even younger kids, even kids 10, 11, 12 years old who are beginning to, to really create and, and learn in ways that didn't exist, you know, even a couple of decades ago, but now are becoming more, much more prevalent. And I also think that by and large, and this certainly isn't true everywhere, but I think by and large, kids have these, uh, they have a sense of the changes that are happening in the world. I think they have a greater sense that there's a, this really important conversation around justice that's happening right now. They have a, a, a sense that there's this huge challenge that we're facing around climate. Um, they, they are more aware. Uh, they can't help but be more aware. Even if they're spending you know, six hours a day on TikTok, I mean, <laughs> those messages filter through. Those, that, that stuff comes through that. And so they, I think, are, are uh, increasingly coming to school. And if you, if you thought kids asked this, like they asked this all the time when I was teaching in the 80s and 90s, why am I learning this? They're really going to school right now and going, what is the point of this? I can go learn this stuff on my own using my device. I don't need to sit here for, you know, this, this many hours. And most of what's in the curriculum, I think we'd all agree, is going to be forgotten as soon as the test is over. Um, it's never going to be used. It's never going to be applied. It has no real life purpose other than you get a grade so you can move on to the next class, so you can move on to the next part of the narrative around what education is. I think kids more and more are just kind of going, 
I, why are we doing this? And I've gotten to the point now where in all of my speaking and in all of my consulting, I, I, I require that kids are in the room every session that we're, that we do anything. Um, if we're talking about kids, kids need to be at the table. Um, kids need to have a voice because they are um, bringing an, a perspective and they are bringing a knowledge base to that conversation that many adults don't have. Um, and we can't make decisions, really good decisions about the future for our children if we're not listening to them at this point, because in many ways they know more than we do about what's going on and about you know how, how learning is possible in the world today. Will, what you've described is a, is a that we're in a time, and maybe uh, exaggerated by the pandemic, but would have happened anyway when everything we've held sacred is up for grabs. And I think that's essentially what you're yeah. saying about school. Yep. Uh, but we're also at a time when, in, at least in our part of the world, there's an unprecedented, there have been an unprecedented number of retirements from superintendents, principals, teachers of schools in the in our area are scrambling to even fill their classrooms. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and we've been asking each of our guests to comment on that. What do we, what do we need to do to uh, reignite the profession, to get more young people to consider it, given what you just said about young people, uh, and uh, to, uh, move, to move them through the system so that the next generation of superintendents and principals is more aligned with the kind of thing you're describing. So, you know, what advice do you have in that area, Will? I don't know. I, I, I really don't know what the answer. We don't, we don't either. That's the, that question is. Yeah, I wish I, I wish I could. I wish I could give you know sound brilliant here and give you you know some sense of how to how to solve that problem. Look, the profession is in uh, is in really serious condition right now. Um, you know, it is not something that um, kids are many kids are aspiring to. Um, you look at all the statistics; they show that education majors in college are dropping. Um, it does not have the prestige or the respect um, in many ways that, uh, you know, you would think it should have. Um, and I, I, I don't know how to change that. I think if there was one, you know, as you were asking that question, Bob, one thing that came to mind was, I think we have to make it more of a learning opportunity for the teachers as well. Um, I think we have to create environments where they are engaged um, and, and they are creating and they are learning. And the way that you do that, I think, is that, again, you, you kind of redesign the role. Um, uh, you know, it's easy to say, okay, if you're a teacher or a leader today in schools, your job description has changed dramatically over the last even 18 months, right? I mean, you, 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 this is not what you signed up for. Um, this is not what you expected just because of the pandemic and all of the, all of the problems that we've had to solve and, and go through. But it's much more than the pandemic, obviously. That's not it. There's a huge change that's happening in the world right now. And so um, it's, this is not gonna get any less stressful. It's not gonna get any less complicated. There's not an easy answer to any of this. So we have to create conditions in schools, I think that, and I'll, I'll use a Margaret Wheatley uh, quote, um, she calls them islands of sanity. 
And I, I think we have to create these spaces in schools where people can come together in really healthy ways, joyful ways, um, and, and do you know, meaningful work with one another in collaboration with one another. I don't think it can be simply the role is you stand up in front of a classroom or you kind of, you know, plan it out, even if it's not standing in front of the classroom, you maybe you're configuring the work a little bit differently, but still you're, the onus is on you to decide, you know, what to teach, how to teach it, how to assess it, all of that stuff. That's just not a really great picture of, it's not an engaging picture for a lot of people. Um, and, and so I think we need to change that narrative. We need to change that story. Now, how we do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm not sure. I think we, well, let me offer this and I'll offer this to just as an example of how we begin to move change forward in classrooms as well. I think we need to choose to tell different stories, to be honest with you. I think we need to choose because every story we tell is a choice, right? I think we need to choose to tell stories of classrooms that are dynamic, engaged, even if they don't, you know, there's nothing about grades or college or success or achievement or any of those kind of old traditional stories that we tell and measure our, you know, our success by. I think that when we tell stories of kids doing, and teachers doing collaborative, dynamic, important work in the world, I think that that's one way to begin to shift the, not only the job description, but the expectations that we have. And I think that in just about every school, some of that is happening, right? Sure. But we choose not to tell those stories very much. We choose instead to tell, we had, you know, 80% of our kids accepted to these particular colleges and our AP scores were up here and, you know, yada, yada, which at the end of the day really don't mean anything in terms of contribution to the world. So that might be one place to start, but that's a, it's a, it's a huge, huge question without, without a doubt. You began though answering that by saying you didn't have an answer, but you just did. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, because the answer yeah. really is, uh, just, you know, I, and what, yeah. what made sense to me is, you know, uh, painting a picture of teaching in the future as being relevant to those young people like your own kids. Um, yeah who have a very different world view of the world and a very different view yeah. of justice and equity. And, uh, uh, and you as a teacher can help facilitate that vision. And so yeah. uh, hopefully we can get better at telling that story. Given the right conditions and given the right support mechanisms, because all of that is fraught right now, obviously, there are people who want to push back against all that stuff. You know, there's this kind of uh, reactionary thing that's happening in the States and, and actually in other parts of the world as well that make that even difficult to conceive of being able to do, right? Coming in and doing that kind of work and and then just having to, you know, um, answer questions. Well, why are you doing that? And why aren't you getting good test scoring? <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? So, but I, I just, you know, I, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about lately is just all of the challenges that we face right now are just a consequence of really bad decision making. I mean, it, it, there's almost, you know, nothing that if we had been making better decisions, if we had actually put the collective in front of the individual, we probably wouldn't have been in a lot of these situations right now. And there's a guy by the name of Otto Scharmer uh, who wrote a book called Theory U, who's, who talks a lot about this, what he sees as this big shift is away from ecosystems to ecosystems. And a lot of people are talking now about the fact that 
And I think it is a fact. If we're going to get out of any of these things, we're going to do it collectively. We're not going to do it individually. And so to position schools as a place, and I think this is what they become, as a place to go for individual gain, for to, to um, you know, get more access to individual success, I think that's going to have to change as well. I think we're going to have to see schools as places that really um, are helping kids see themselves as part of humanity writ large and as a part of uh, the planet. Um, you know, I mean, we're at a point right now where uh, we used to depend on the planet for our sustenance. And right now the planet is kind of depending on us to fix it um, because we've, we've kind of gotten to a point where we've, you know, destroyed it in so many ways. And we've developed such bad habits that if we don't take, take a different path, and if we don't see each other as all a part of this path, this collective piece, uh, we're not going to fix it, right? And so, yeah, I, I, I just think that uh, there's some fundamental types of, of len lenses that we have to change about our work. I will call to your attention and we'll send you the link of a previous interview we did with a young man named Grayson McKinney, who was a teacher, a fifth grade teacher in one of our local districts, because what goes on in his classroom day in and day out is exactly what you just described. I mean, it is, you know, he has figured out how to break so many of those old boundaries that uh, we're stuck with. And uh, so you, you're a couple guys about to meet each other. So we'll are they, are they telling, are they telling those stories in his district? Uh, yes. Yeah, pretty well. Right. In fact, he was, uh, we were running, we ran a series for teachers and principals in the Tri-County area on uh, uh, resetting after the pandemic. And he was one of the leaders of that. So great. We, we hope that more of that will get out there. So we're getting near the end of our time with you, Will. And I guess a couple things. One, is there anything else that you would want to say to today's generation of teachers and school leaders that you haven't already said? Uh, stop right there for a minute. Well, I think that the paramount um, thing that we need to focus on right now is our own mental, physical wellness um, that, you know, we have to find ways, like I said, I, lo I love that metaphor of islands of sanity. We have to find ways of making sure that despite all of the headlines and all the challenges and stresses and exhaustion <laughs> and whatever else that, you know, we make space for um, ourselves and for our own health. And um, I think that, you know, that we were talking about change job, job descriptions. I think that's a part of the job description for teachers now too, you know, is to, oh. to really center wellness because, um, you know, kids aren't gonna learn, they're not gonna flourish. None of us are gonna learn or flourish if we're not well. Um, so that's a part of it. And, and I think that that means, you know, really advocating for grading less, um, less homework, um, less curriculum, you know what I mean? Really cutting back um, to the things that are, are most important and that matter most. So um, I think that would be the, the one message. Try as hard as you can to advocate for less right now and more wellness. That, that too has been a continuing theme through these interviews. We've, uh, yeah. um, as we've talked with local superintendents, one of the things that they worry about is protecting their own sanity and, yeah. and that with whom, the people with whom they work. And just, just to put a pin on that too, I mean, that needs to be post-pandemic as well, right? That doesn't, that conversation doesn't end when hopefully this 
pandemic thing ends, right? All the stresses that go along with this. This is something that I think is going to be a focus moving forward into the future, you know, uh, consistently. Sure. So if, if somebody listening to this conversation wants to know more about Will Richardson and the Big Questions Institute, how do they do it? Well, it's easy, bigquestions.institute. And, um, you know, email is will at bigquestions.institute or homa at bigquestions.institute. And uh, if you go to bigquestions.institute slash nine, the number nine dash questions, you can um, download our free ebook. And uh, hopefully that'll be a, a great conversation starter or uh, for you or for people in your school. So um, that's, that's the place to go. What reminded me that you were still out there doing good work was when I downloaded the book. So uh, uh, we will put that on our website so that people have an easy connection to it. Thanks so Suzanne, I'm, I'm struck by how much this this interview tied in with several we've done before. It was, it was really quite remarkable. And the theme that continues to echo across those conversations is that notion of redesign, reimagining, and will the three words that you started us off with early in the interview will resonate with me uh, in the conversations I have that uh, we're looking at an epic design challenge and what might we learn from what we've learned. And then um, keeping in mind that schools are a place uh, where kids are coming, what, what is going to be their experience when they arrive and how might we take that metaphor as a canvas and think about what we're going to paint in this new picture. So thank you so much for not only your comments and thoughtfulness, but also the resources that the Big Questions Institute offers for those that want to pursue them. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. And I wish everyone who's listening sincere success and, and, and health in uh, the work that you're doing in the future. Thank you again, Will. And to our listeners, thank you for being part of this installment of Podcast for Leaderful Schools. As always, we're coming almost live from Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan. Stay tuned for further conversations along these very same themes.